everyone, this is Alexandra Perry, and you are listening to Investing After Hours, a Wealth Daily podcast. Joining us today is our senior technology analyst, Jason Stutman. Jason, how are you? Hey, Ali, I'm good. How are you? Good. Excited for Christmas? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Pretty pumped. Going up to New York. It's going to be fun. So um, the subject of this podcast is actually going to be about gene editing, which has emerged as arguably one of the most important scientific discoveries of our lifetime. And Jason, I know you've been working with companies in this space and probably have been researching the topic for a long time. So how would you go about explaining gene editing to a third grader? Okay, yeah. So uh, genes are the functional unit of heredity for all biological organisms. Uh, They issue instructions on physical traits and specifically uh, proteins that are being expressed. Um, If I were to explain that to a third grader, you could imagine a set of Lego blocks. Uh, Genes would not be the Lego blocks themselves, but they would be the pages of the instruction booklet uh, that's telling you what to do with those Lego blocks. Uh, They're the blueprint for the final product that's going to get built. So gene editing, if we're sticking with that analogy, is the process of rewriting those pages so you can build whatever it is you want, albeit within the physical limitations of of those Legos. And has this, this science, I guess you'd kind of call it um, this field of scientific research, because there really is a whole field that is developed around it. Has it been around for a long time? Um, technically, it, it's been around for, for quite some time, uh, if, you know, if you look at the broader aspect of it. So we've been manipulating genetics, uh, albeit unknowingly, since the dawn of agriculture. Uh, the domestication of animals, uh, particularly the wolf uh, and plants, was a form of selective breeding as early as 12,000 B.C., uh, obviously, that's a very primitive form of genetic manipulation, but in reality, the broader practice is nothing new. What is new, however, however is uh, our ability to go in and target specific uh, specific genes and specific strands of DNA, whether that's adding genes, deleting them, or increasing the expression of uh, pre-existing genes. Um, we didn't start doing this until the 1970s, but since then, advancements have uh, been relatively rapid. In 1978, we got synthetic insulin, which was obviously a huge medical game changer. Prior to that, if you were diabetic, you had to uh, actually use purified animal insulin, which I can't even imagine what it was like to obtain that. Um, uh, In 1983, we saw genetically engineered tobacco. That was the first uh, commercially uh, genetically modified plant. And in 1994, we got the first... uh, genetically modified food item, which was a tomato, and now you have multi-billion dollar corporations uh, like Monsanto, I'm sure you're familiar with, that control much of the global food industry with modified seeds and crops. We know these as GMOs or genetically modified organisms, but uh, even this technology is becoming more primitive uh, in terms of the technology that's becoming available, namely uh, two editing systems, uh, CRISPR-Cas9 and Talon which are two editing systems that allow us to very precisely cut specific sequences of DNA. Let's talk about this from an investing angle, because I know just like you're saying, you know, this has been around for a long time, but only recently have we kind of isolated these key technologies. So what as an investor attracted you to this right now? Yeah, so I I first began learning about CRISPR-Cas9 about five years ago. It's essentially a platform for highly targeted gene editing that's uh, both cheap and accessible. Uh, this might get a little bit nerdy. Uh, I don't. I don't want to bore anybody, but uh, it's it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, so CRISPR is actually derived from a natural a defense function of bacteria. Uh, bacteria has a defense mechanism against uh, viruses, where it will essentially clip a piece of the virus's DNA, and it will hold on to it so that when the virus comes back, it can recognize it. 
So scientists basically took this process, that uh, this process of uh, bacteria snipping uh, viruses' DNA, and they're reapplying it to uh, all forms of, of genetic engineering. Everyone has their own their own analogy for CRISPR. Uh, I like to think of it as like a Swiss Army knife because of its versatility, and that's that's really what got me interested as an investor was the uh, the versatility of applications that it's going to be able to be used in. So obviously CRISPR, Case9, and Talon both have a lot of application in the medical fields, but there are actually places that these two technologies and gene editing strategies can be applied outside of medicine, and one of those is foods. Um, do you think this could be positive for society? Uh, yeah, so I guess, I mean, just touching on what you how you began this question, uh, you have a lot of applications that are, you know, if you think of genetic diseases, uh, muscular dystrophy, Down syndrome, sickle cell anemia, various various genetic disorders, uh, that's obviously going to be a huge market, but uh, part of what I'm focusing on is uh, is food uh, and agriculture. Uh, a, lo- a lot of people are still cautious and fearful of GMO, food- GMO foods. It's a common misconception that GMOs are inherently dangerous or bad for you. Uh, they're not. Um, there are close to 2,000 global studies affirming the safety of GMOs, and GMOs are actually among the most analyzed subjects in all of science. The National Academy of Sciences uh, did an extensive review in 2016, uh, reaffirming the safety of GMOs. And uh, the, the truth is that GMOs can can be good for society because they increase co- crop yields. Uh, they make for cheaper and more available food, uh, and they can also they can also increase the nutritional value of foods for a healthier uh, global population. And I'll probably get some flack by some you know anti-GMO uh, people, but uh, it's true. Uh, you can look it up. You can Google it. Um, but, uh, you know, that said, there, um, you know, there are still going to be people who, who are cautious of, of non-GMO foods because of things going on in the media and, and market strategies from organic farmers. But there, there are legitimate reasons for that apprehension as well. Uh, I think a lot of it comes from the ethics of, of Monsanto, which is the world's largest producer of GMO seeds. What Monsanto has done uh, is engineer food seeds to be resistant to chemicals they use in their own herbicide roundup. So they can basically sell you, uh, it's like a double whammy, you buy their seeds, which goes well with their Roundup. So while the GMOs themselves are safe, the, uh, the chemicals that they spray these, uh, these seeds with, or the, the plants, the crops, those are not safe. Um, uh, they're actually quite dangerous. Uh, there's a chemical in, in Roundup known as uh, glyphosate, which uh, the World Health Organization recently acknowledged as a probable uh, cancer-causing agent. Uh, it was there were leaked papers, uh, the Monsanto papers, in which uh, Monsanto was uh, caught basically conspiring with uh, regulators to uh, to hide this information and to uh, to make Roundup seem safer than it was. Uh, and you know people are upset about this. They should be. Uh, 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 glyphosate is found uh, pretty much everywhere, even if you only eat organic foods. Chances are you probably have it somewhere in your, you know, it might be in your blood. They've done, they've done studies, and uh, so that's, that's definitely a, a negative aspect of, of GMOs. The, the plus side is that with advancements like CRISPR and Talon, uh, genetic editing platforms, uh, the use of Roundup, uh, we, we believe or I believe, is, is going to dissipate over the next decade. So I want to spend some time on that last point you made. Pesticides are a heated topic when you come to food. People don't like the idea that their food is being sprayed with potentially carcinogenic material. You said that yourself. Um, But people also have a resistance to genetically modified organisms. All these things kind of factor into a fear of modified food. Um, But you've done research on this, and there is a correlation between cancer and pesticides. Why do you think people aren't more outraged about this? 
uh, I mean, I think that people are outraged about it. I think I, I think that there's so much going on in the world right now that a lot of the uh, Monsanto hate, like it's almost like old news that everyone knows that Monsanto, Monsanto was named the most evil corporation, I think, in 2013. So uh, everyone, you know, people that hate Monsanto, hate, hates, they already hate Monsanto. It's, it's kind of old news. Um, I, I also think that uh, in a broader sense, people recognize that that Monsanto is going, is becoming obsolete because of these new technologies. Um, and I, I do think it'll take time for people to really gain trust of GMOs. But like I said earlier, it's not the GMOs themselves that are dangerous. It's the, you know, it's the herbicides, the fungicides, the pesticides that they're, uh, that they're spraying on these crops. And what, uh, what CRISPR and, and Talon, uh, Talon specifically right now are, are possibly allowing to do, and, or at least there are companies that are aiming to do this, uh, they're going to try to use a plant's own immune system to fight against insects, to fight against blight, such as you know, such as uh, fungus, and uh, and to fight against uh, you know other things that are harming harming the plant. This way, we don't have to rely on harmful pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, and, and so forth. Um, and if it so, if we can, it, it seems weird to say that in a natural way because we are, it is a form of genetic engineering, but it's far more natural than actually spraying the plant. If we can have these plants uh, basically activate their own immune systems and defend against fungus and defend against insects on their own, that's going to be uh, far more uh, beneficial in terms of health, uh, in terms of food, uh, global food production, uh, than anything that Monsanto is doing. Do you see this kind of gene editing having more applications outside of just pesticides, even though pesticides are a large part of why this kind of technology is important? because there is a strong correlation between these substances and cancer. Um, there are also other ways that CRISPR could probably be used that would improve the current GMOs that we have on the market. Yeah, so the reducing a reliance on Roundup and, and other herbicides uh, is just one, it's just one component of, of what, it's one very small component actually of what this technology is gonna enable us to do. There's a whole host of benefits that are currently, currently in the pipeline you have reduced saturated fat oils. You have uh, you have higher yield soybeans. You have potatoes that you can store uh, in the refrigerator for, so that you can have longer storage, uh, which reduces food waste, which is a big global problem. You have plants that are resistant to uh, to to blight and uh, and fungus. Again, plants that are res- resistant to uh, to insects. Um, plants that have a reduced gluten wheat. Is one of them. Uh, so that's obvi- that's a huge. Um, you have a lot of people that don't like gluten anymore, even if they don't have celiac disease. Um, that uh, that can benefit from reduced gluten wheat, high fiber wheat. I mean, basically, so I mean, almost anything that you can think of. Uh, you know, you can have. You know, in the future, we we could just have a like a superfood. You know, you might have an apple, or a you know a, a potato that has you know. All the nutritional value that you possibly you that you possibly need, um, you know, it's it seems like crazy futuristic to think about that. You know, you might think of like an old sci-fi film. And they where they pop like that one pill a they, day. They put a pill. Day. They put a pill in water. It turns into some kind of like you know some food, and they eat it, and that's that's all they have to eat. And but that's uh, it's not entirely realistic. But the the concept of having food that is. Uh, is incredibly nutritious because we are able to just go into the we're, go, we're able to go into the genetics and, and manipulate it to our liking. Uh, that's entirely possible. 
it is interesting to think about too, especially with the population rising. And I did a little bit of research into this myself before heading into this podcast, because I knew this would be the topic that we were looking at. But basically it sounds like our population is increasing because we're living longer, um, but a lot of food scarcity and nutritional deficit, um, nutritional deficiencies doesn't come from population boom, it comes from food costs. So if there's a way to produce these kind of foods that are more nutritionally dense, um, more last longer feed a family you know you're not throwing away one third of what you buy in food a month and it sounds like it's a huge solution for a lot of problems yeah so it's not it's not necessarily the amount of food that we produce it's the uh it's the distribution of food so uh being able to store food longer uh being able to grow uh uh, being able to have plants that are drought that are drought resistant uh, allows us to grow them in environments, uh, local environments that we otherwise would, wouldn't have been able to do in the past. Um, that improves the, the issue of distribution because, I mean, if you took all the food that was wasted in America, you could probably feed the entire world. But it's impractical to, to take that food and to, to, to ship it elsewhere yeah. because it's going to go bad by the time that it gets there. Um, so without a doubt, uh, gene editing is going to fix a lot of those distribution issues. And uh, I really think, you know, uh, if you, I mean, already, if you look at, uh, you know, hunger, uh, it's, it has been reduced since the, uh, since the introduction of, of genetically modified foods in the, uh, in the 1990s. So, um, I only think that that problem is going to, going to continue to diminish. And I really think that, uh, we're heading towards a, a period in human history where, uh, you know, or an era in human history where, uh, you know, genetically modified foods are going to just feed everybody, and there's famine and uh, and hunger is not are not going to be global issues. And do you think the energy kind of ties into this too? Because we're talking about you know growing foods in areas where I think avocados are kind of a good example. You know, avocado. We had this avocado shortage because millennials got super crazy about avocados. Yeah, avocados used to not be that great. Like there was a marketing plan targeted at avocados. But because they're moving avocados from California, there's a ton of money that goes into transporting that kind of food and then raising raising the cost because there's demand from further away. Um, would there be a reason for companies to adopt CRISPR case nine, even if there's some resistance to the idea of, you know, further genetically modified food, just because it would redu- reduce their own costs of like shipping and moving foods? Yeah, it's going to depend on the location, and it's going to depend on the actual uh, how that seed is modified. Uh, I think that drought drought resistant seeds will be uh, are, are specifically going to uh, serve that serve that uh, you know that need. But uh, even aside from um, even aside from genetically modified foods and genetic genetically edited foods, uh, you're going to have you're going to see a lot of a rise in uh, in indoor farming, uh, which is I, I think is going to you know you're going to have you know. Basically, farms that uh, are just in tall buildings, um, and it won't really matter the environment because the, the environment's going to be controlled internally. Uh, that's going to be another aspect that's that's going to help reduce those food shortages. So, from that, that conversation that we just had, we touched on a lot of different things. It's probably a little bit overwhelming to people just to like look at how many issues we have with our food system. Um, and I kind of I know you've been working in the space for a long time, and gene editing has a place in your your investment portfolio as much as it does in your interests. Um, do you have any companies you're looking at right now in the gene editing field that are potential profit powerhouses? Yeah, so there are, I'd say, four or five on the market that are really uh, worth looking at. I can name a couple. Um, uh, you have Intellia, you have uh, Adidas Medicine, you have CRISPR Therapeutics. Um, those are just those are just a few that, that uh, you know, 
come on, you know, come to my mind at first glance. Um, a lot of these companies, uh, I mean, pre- all of these companies are, are speculative. Uh, these are these are early stage investments. They're de- de- developmental. Um, we're not going to start seeing uh, the first. Well, we're going to see the first commercial trials uh, in Europe in 2018. That's going to be CRISPR Therapeutics. Um, these are these are not companies that I would I would tell anyone to you know bet the house on or bet the farm on, uh, so to speak. No pun intended. Um, but they are companies to begin looking at, uh, and I mean, the way I see it is that uh, if you take if you take some speculative funds and you spread them across these these companies evenly, uh, a couple of them are going to be blockbusters, and that's kind of uh, that's my approach to it at, at the moment. Like that, it's just you know this is going to be. Do you have any like market projection projections for gene editing in the next couple of years? Are we still at a, too early of a stage to kind of look at those kind of numbers down the line? Because I know it's hard to judge with pharmaceuticals how large something's going to grow because we haven't gotten to the commercial marketing of the product yet. Yeah, I don't have uh, any specific numbers in front of me. Um, over the next couple of years, the, the market's going to remain quite small. Uh, over the next uh, five to ten years, uh, even if you look, I mean, this is a 20-year 20, 20 thing. If you think of when, when the, first, the first GMO was 1994, uh, it took, um, if you look 20, 30 years past then, that's when, like, you know, that's how GMOs grew uh, during that time, like Monsanto was able to grow from you know a very small company to a you know multi-billion-dollar organization. Um, so I think you have to you have to give these companies a little bit of time because it does it does does take time to get their products to market. But um, I would say you know if if you want to invest in this space, you want a ten to twenty-year time horizon. And I mean, you're looking at hundreds of hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, this is going to be a hundred hundred billion-dollar market. Um, you know within the next decade, uh, hundreds, hundreds of billions, not a hundred billion, but a lot, it's going to be a lot of money. Uh, you have to think of the amount of money that, um, farmers will be willing to pay to be able to rebrand their product as, uh, as non GMO because technically, um, products that are gene edited by, uh, by CRISPR are, uh, or by talent are technically not, uh, classified as GMO products. Um, so to get rid of that label, to get rid of the, uh, the herbicides, the pesticides, the fungicides—that's uh, a huge, huge benefit to them. So it's it's going to be a it's going to be a big market. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't give you specific <laughs> numbers. Uh, I I do have them somewhere. I don't have them in front of me, but uh, it's going to be big. Do you have? I know you have a presentation coming sometime in January um, about a company that's kind of sitting right on top of this gene editing food market. And I'm actually going to I'm going to include a link to that for anybody listening below. Um, if it's not there right away, that's because it hasn't become available yet. But if you want to stay up to date on those kind of presentations, we alert investors to them through our newsletter, Wealth Daily, and you can find a sign up box for that at the bottom of this page. Um, Jason, before we close the podcast, is there anything you want to say for to investors on this topic? In addition to what I've said, uh, I mean, I would just reiterate. Uh, these are speculative, uh, speculative biotechs. Uh, they're going to be volatile, so I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I would assess what uh, your what risks you're willing to take and how much how much money, uh, you know, you don't want to invest anything that you're willing to lose into into speculative biotechs. It, it really is a very volatile and uh, uh, crazy market. But at the same time, uh, the the risk is, I believe, especially in this situation, is, is highly outweighed by the by the reward. So uh, 
I don't know. I, I would just suggest you know keeping you know getting a pen and paper, writing down CRISPR Cas9, and writing down uh, Talon, and uh, keeping an eye out because uh, you're going to start hearing a lot more about these technologies over the next uh, the next uh, two or three years. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be big. And once the media catches on and all those headlines come come rushing in, uh, that's when the money is going to flood into those stocks. Um, and uh, the earlier you get in, the bigger advantage that you're going to have. Jason, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. To everyone listening, we will literally see you next year. I say that every year. It's exciting. (laughs) Thanks, Allie. Okay, everyone. Have a good night.